0: Greetings, ladies and gents, and welcome to this latest version of uh, Tales, Tales from Space, where I take an HFY story from somewhere around the internet and read it aloud for your enjoyment. All the relevant links are down below. Like, subscribe, and all that YouTube comf to help this video and channel grow. Anyways, as always, I hope that you enjoy. I would like to give a quick thanks to our tier 5 channel members and patrons. Fallen Angel, Buzz Killington. Thank you, again. Now on to the story. Story double one. The First Step. Written by LG Father Anthracite. From A Brief History of Superluminality, FDL Achievements of GLQ Member Species, by Sage Marathon of the Gabane. All measures have been taken and auto-translated. It is a well-known fact in the history of the Galactic Legal Quorum that there are many roads to ascendancy. Some, like the Zitsky, follow the slow, steady path of incremental improvements and innovation. These races spend centuries, even millennia, slowly developing and refining the science and techniques used to achieve spaceflight. Others, like the Zek Collective, Evolve new subclasses of bodies capable of escaping gravity wells and moving vast distances between the stars. Rarely, perhaps uniquely, there is a species that seems to leap from foraging for food to the next local star system in just a few centuries. Humans, unlike most other races of the Chell Q, ran from achieving flight into landing in the local moon in just 66 years. That is, for those keeping track, less than the span of a single human lifetime. It is just under a gestation period of a single Zek Freightliner. Even the Periqui would only have gone through three generations. The factor that made this possible was looked for. Was it their intelligence? Was it their particularly favorable set of conditions? Was there some sort of outside help or influence? After decades of study, no one is sure. Humans, on average, skew just over average intelligence for GLQ member species. Sharp, but nothing extraordinary. Their homeworld is well known for being inhospitable to most GLQ members. The Zitchki ambassador who first visited Earth famously said, They're all surprisingly gentle and caring for a species that comes from such a terrible and punishing place. So then, no favorable factors were in play. And scouring through many records, it was possible to find the provenance of every single leap in technology that led from Beasts of Burden to FTL Drive. Humans were fascinated with record-keeping. Everything was written down, annotated, indexed, and catalogued. So then, what? What was it that drove people from digging in the dirt, as they say? to flying to the stars no one has successfully answered that question but i tend to hear a hypothesis there are two things that lead to such shatteringly fast development one curiosity two indifference you may be thinking how does indifference matter and that is only half the question the other half is critical indifference to what Humans are well-documented for taking apart everything to see how it runs, learning every nuance of a subject, mastering all the errata, minutiae, law, legend, and detail of whatever subject interests them. Curiosity is a blatant part of their makeup. Indifference, on the other hand, is something much harder to nail down. And had I not spent many years of my life working with and studying humans, I might not have picked it up on it myself. If some aspect of this endeavor is not important to a human, it may as well not exist. Most species' first attempts to achieve a landing on a satellite body is fraught with a myriad of fail-safes, backups, double and triple checks. Simulations, test runs, calculations are redone, more test runs... Humans stuck a crew of repurposed weapons of war and shot them into space. Oh, it was modified and tests were run. But the equipment, if would horrify most sentients to know, there is more computational power in my wristwatch than humans used to traverse the void. They built their first lunar module without computers. Men and women did the math with devices known as slide rules. I've never managed to determine how they work, but they appear to uh, solve equations close enough to get the job done. The very idea of this would horrify most engineers, let alone test pilots. But here is where human indifference pops up. They were indifferent to the inaccuracies, the risks, the original purpose of the design, the discomfort, the tragic and horrifying failures. Of previous attempts Humans can Brightly ignore stumbling blocks That slow down or hold the other species Of the GLQ They took a crew of volunteers Set them atop a 36 tall Pile of explosives Untranslatable close allergy Crossed their fingers And lit the fuse There are two phrases that come to mind When I think of the remarkable Progress of humans They are both known to every human one small step for man one giant leap for mankind the first words of the first human after stepping on luna and the second phrase the longest journey starts with a single step end of story story number two the death of man written by lg father anthracite Cicero was walking through the halls, looking for a place where his lord was residing. The Halls of power, or the halls as they were usually known, were the place where the gods resided. It was a place where the beings who governed over the faiths resided. The gods of Zichki, Bloraxian, Baikonur, humans, and all other intelligent races of the universe resided in these halls. Cicero had been in the halls for a millennia. He was an aide, someone who ran errands and delivered messages for the gods. He had just run an errand for Pluto, the human god and the afterlife. He went by many names and played many roles, but generally, he appeared as Pluto, it being his favorite incarnation. On certain occasions, he did appear as Kalima, Anubis, Orcus, or even Lucifer but only when he was in the mood. There were many others as well. He found Lord Pluto in a discussion with several other gods of the afterlife. He recognized the Zichki god of Brenneven, the Raxian god Balrog, and the Zagrell of the Brekrenor. There were other familiar faces as well. Something bad must be happening, Cicero thought as he approached his lord, and waited to be recognized. The gods finished their discussion and Pluto turned and nodded to Cicero. My lord, the message was delivered. He said he would send his page with a response soon, Cicero said. He was lucky. Pluto was not a stickler for protocol, unlike the cricket gods, who required aids to recite full dignities and names and honors before addressing their lords. Come, Cicero. War is afoot, and we must make ready for a wave of new souls, Pluto said. The corners of his mouth drugged downward and the weight of the news. Cicero understood the meeting now. Interstellar war would mean an influx of souls from all species involved, and accommodations must be made. Cicero followed after his lord as he went to prepare. Cicero was tired. He had spent much of his time preparing for the war that seemed imminent, making sure that the souls would have a place to reside, and await judgment meant preparing extra space and resources. It had taken Cicero whole seconds of work. His lord oversaw everything and approved of his work. If Cicero continued to do well, in another few millennia, he might get promoted to demigod. Lord Bruto appeared and said, Cicero, I have need to speak to death. Please request a meeting. Cicero bowed his head and then departed. He wandered the halls for a while, looking for death of men. He knew, somehow, where to look, and wandered the halls until he hit upon an area where death was. He sat in his workshop, grinding an edge onto his many scythes. He had one for every human life, and each was so sharp that if it were to cut you, you wouldn't even feel it. Lord Death, my master Pluto requests a meeting. I can wait to guide you or relay her place and time to my lord, Cicero said. His head bowed again. Wait, came a response. Cicero watched as Death finished sharpening the scythe and stacked it against the wall with the others. He stood and turned to Cicero. Take me. This way, my lord, Cicero turned and led the way. Pluto was waiting for the war to start and Cicero stood beside him in case he needed to run any errands. My lord, might I ask a question? Of course, Cicero, Pluto responded. Why is Lord Death only god of death who uses a weapon? Cicero had had occasion to speak to many gods of death and only the death of men carried a scythe, or any weapon at all. At first, Cicero assumed it was merely a token of his office, like the god of creation Ra's scepter. Pluto looked at Cicero, and the corner of his mouth turned up into a slight smile. You saw him sharpening them? (laughs) Yes, lord. This foolish one believes it was an artifact of office until then. Ruta went back to observing the movements of mankind through the universe. Humans are, it would seem, particularly tenacious and difficult to harvest. Most of the death guards simply have to show up and the quarry passes on. Humans are uh, different. The gods of Earth were uh, challenging to their children. We had wanted to make them strong and smart. And certainly did that. But, uh, well, we made them hard, too. They were the kind to take grievous wounds and keep fighting, even survive. They would eat poisons over and over, building tolerances. They took every challenge we gave them and turned it to a skill. They can out-eat, out-chase, and out-kill most others. They are hard to kill, both physically and spiritually. Death needs his scythe, because otherwise human souls could not be harvested. Of all beings in the halls of power, the one who least want to fight against the death of men, no one here is as strong as his normal quarry. End of story. And that, my friends, concludes this video, I hope.